Welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. Episode 74 is lifting bad for our backs. Let's go. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Okay, guys, an awesome one for you today is lifting bad for our backs. Underwritten in our very lexicon is the idea that lifting is bad for our backs. A polling of American physiotherapists showed that up to 75%, 75% believe that long periods of lifting was bad for our backs. Commonly, people who experience back pain may even put this down to something heavy or something that they have lifted, whether it's one big heavy lift or from lifting something smaller repetitively over time. In fact, often when you go to lift something heavy or lift something at all, it's pretty common for someone well-meaning enough to say, hey, watch your back. But is lifting actually a cause of back pain? If not, how has this myth come about? And could lifting be good for our backs? And the big question, what if avoiding lifting is actually what is bad for our backs? So to find out more, we reached out to Dave Skolnick. Now, Dave is a doctor of physical therapy, a certified strength and conditioning coach, and a certified powerlifting coach from Phoenix, Arizona. We wanted to find out some more. Dave is the founder and owner of Strength in Motion and is a fellow podcaster as well. He co-hosts the Essential Strength Podcast. I mean, in short, this guy knows his stuff. David talks us through where some of these negative feelings around lifting may have originated from, and we get talking about how to use lifting as a positive force for your back pain. The use of exercise as a way of prepping your body for life is something which we keep coming back to here on the Back Pain Podcast, probably because it's something that we know is of such amazing benefit to you both physically and mentally. So whether it's lifting by picking up a grandchild, or by picking up a heavy box in the garage, or even by trying to get the dog into the bath, David says that lifting is a non-optional part of the human experience, so you might as well get good at it. How amazing is that? As always, guys, look, you can head over to our website, The Back Pain Podcast, to find out about more uh, about us or about our guests. And we do love it, of course, when you keep sending us those me- messages. Check out our Twitter or Instagram for a consistent stream of great content and very useful information. And don't forget to keep those positive reviews coming. A big fat five-star review on our podcast, on your podcast tool of choice, really is one of the best compliments you can pay us. And every subscription and positive review we get makes it easier for us to get great guests on the show to talk all things back pain in the future. But look, that's enough from me now. Let's get going with David Skolnick, episode 74. Is lifting bad for our backs? Let's do it. And welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. David, thank you ever so much for joining us on what is our evening and what is your early morning over in Arizona. Ah, Thank you for having me. So Ah, Great to have you on. So we're going to jump straight in. Is lifting bad for my back? 
So typical physical therapy answer, uh, it depends. But in my opinion, for the most part, the answer is no. And um, hopefully that's what you were hoping I would say. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a lot of caveats there, right? Lifting um, kind of within your own personal relative strength um, with the form that is best for you trying to lift, you know, with, uh, with your muscles rather than your ego, you know, there's a lot that goes into is that, you know, is that lift bad for your back, but overall, um, in my opinion, lifting is not bad for your back. So this is a, this, if we call it a myth or a misconception, you know, it's been passed down in society. Everyone has probably at some point heard the phrase, oh, be careful when you lift that, or, you know, don't use your back or, oh, my back is bad because I've been kind of lifting all my life. How has this kind of become ingrained in our society? Is this just, you know, a complete misnomer? You know, what are your opinions on how it's come about? Yeah, I think that's a a really good question. And there's probably a bunch of different reasons. But in my opinion, uh, sort of the top potential reasons why this has become such commonplace kind of phraseology, and I've heard it, you know, a million times, whether it's from, you know, my parents or my friends who know that I am gearing up for a powerlifting competition and I have a goal of, you know, squatting 200 kilos and a little bit about my personal history. I've had a herniated disc at L5S1, had it repaired via discectomy in 2014, herniated it again in 2017, rehabbed it without surgery. um, And I've gotten back to lifting heavy and I feel better now than I ever have more mobile, less painful, stronger. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that lifting weights in a gym is a, is a fairly recent modern development, right? It's kind of only one or two generations worth of people who have had weightlifting or even going to the gym as a hobby. I think, Mm. you know, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and I believe the first gym to open in Portland opened in the 1950s. And it was like one of the first five gyms nationwide, right? It was opened by a guy whose last name was LaPrenzi. He was good friends with Jack LaLanne. So, you know, this was kind of the early, early stages of bodybuilding. And so I think a lot of the people who are saying, you know, aren't you worried about your back didn't grow up working out or lifting weights. Mm. And so the idea of sort of voluntarily walking into a space and grabbing a, a barbell or a dumbbell that weighs a couple hundred pounds and squatting it or deadlifting it, you know, it, it, it does seem sort of unnecessarily risky perhaps. And a lot of people just don't have any personal experience with it. Um, and then the other thing is, I mean, people do get hurt lifting weights and lifting weights is a choice, right? It's a voluntary activity, at least in the gym. Lifting things is sort of an inescapable part of human life. But to choose to go in and lift a couple hundred pounds or a hundred kilos or whatever, and then get hurt, I think that's part of where the misconception is. It's like, you know, you're already at risk of injury just day-to-day life. Why go do something that I've heard? I had a friend who you know, slipped a disc 
and there's a whole nother yeah. misnomer, but slip the disc <laughs> doing a deadlift, um, you know, when you don't have any other context for that. Um, so I think those are the two big things is that, you know, people see it as a, a potentially avoidable risk and lifting weights and being in the gym is sort of a, a newer um, phenomenon. So a lot of the people just don't have any personal context for, for being that active. I think that's a really important point. And one I hadn't actually considered was, yeah, within our, our grandparents' lifetimes, people didn't really, sport and exercise wasn't really a big thing. You know, I mean, probably my parents' generation was the first one where that was the norm, you know, and it was kind of this post-war generation where it probably kind of took off. But I said in our grandparents' lifetimes, getting up and going to the gym was not a done thing. You know, even marathon running and running kind of took off in the kind of 60s, 70s, 80s, really. And then obviously it evolved a lot from there. But I believe you, in American football, they didn't even have strength and conditioning coaches till the early 1980s. Really? There we really? are. Mm-hmm. And it's, and they just so then assumed, you, you know, you get muscle bound and slow. So that was, I think it was like University of Nebraska or something. They hired the first one and they went from one and 10 to 11 and 0. And then suddenly everybody needed a strength coach. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you don't understand something, you're then going to blame it for things which, you know, you also don't understand, you know, because as you said, you know, people have back pain. And and if there's something that that person is doing that is outside of the norm, then people are going to kind of attribute that to, oh, or, or they do that all the time. So that's probably why they've got back pain, you know, and that then kind of spreads. And then a physio said, oh, stop doing that. This is bad for your back. And then it just kind of trickles down a bit, doesn't it? And then, then we end up in this situation where, you know, Dave and I have said on podcasts before that we've had patients who have been told when they were teenagers to never lift anything heavier than a bag of shopping. And now they're 60s, 70s, and they've never lifted anything their entire life. They stopped lifting up their child when they got older than two because they thought it was bad for their back. And it, you know, mm-hmm. and it can be really damaging. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a guy, there's a kid who trains at the same gym that I do out here in Gilbert, Arizona. And um, he's got a, a scoliotic curve. And I think he's 19. He competes, he squats uh, over 300 pounds and deadlifts around 400 pounds. And when he was 17... Um, he was having a lot of back pain and the doctor he went and saw said he wanted to do a, a fusion. And then for the rest of his life, starting at age 17, he was going to be able to swim and walk. That was it. Wow. And that was two years ago, right? This isn't like 50 years ago. People were saying, don't lift. This was like <laughs> right now this is happening. Yeah. And, and did he, did he go down that line or? No. Oh, good. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. So he, he just lifting? kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's still lifting. And I think, Within about six weeks of that consult, he wasn't having pain anymore, which was like fantastic. That's a imagine that. So that then segues quite nicely onto the next question: Is lifting good for our backs? Now I know I'm sure this comes with lots of caveats as well, but generally, should we be lifting and why? Yeah. So rather than than go through all the all the caveats for this one, I think I'll, I'll pick one aspect of it that I come back to a lot, and that is the concept of functional reserve and in my mind, exposing ourselves to strength training reduces the risk of injuring ourselves in other areas or other times of life, right? If you are practiced at lifting 100 kilos off the ground, then it would make sense that you wouldn't have a problem lifting up your 30-pound dog or your 20-pound granddaughter. And so through that graded exposure, you know, similar to something like even just reading, right? 
if you read a little bit every day, then you're going to get better at that skill. Or like podcasting, you know, with each successive podcast, I know I find that I get a little bit better at asking questions, at not speaking over my guests. So it's that kind of graded exposure um, and building up your functional reserve, your resilience. Because again, like I said, lifting weights is optional. Lifting things is obligatory. You're going to have to bend over and pick something up at some point. Um, and one thing that I will tell anyone who asks me if I'm worried about hurting my back is, you know, there's an 80 to 90% chance I'm going to hurt my back because I'm a human being. Yeah. And I would rather it be on a 250 kilo deadlift than bending over to pick up a newspaper, which is, you know, what the pain specialist I saw back in 2014 kind of warned me against. It's like, you know, pick you it, might go pick outside, pick up a paper. Yeah. When I had a herniated disc and I had the MRI confirming that, you know, he, he told me that you know, I could go outside to pick up the newspaper and lose all function in my right leg. You know, that was what I was risking. Wow. And I don't think he knew that I'd, you know, been in the gym the day before. It didn't That's feel really good, <laughs> but I'd been in the gym and I was probably going to go the next day too. Um, so yeah, so I would say, I would say lifting weights and then the caveats I will get in is, you know, properly, um, again, with your muscles, not your ego and through some graded exposure. Yeah. Lifting weights is fantastic for your back. So is it more a case of then people who will often injure their back, as you said, lifting up a newspaper, lifting up a child is because that is their, they're exceeding their capacity to do something. Whereas, you know, because, because if they've never lifted anything heavier than a, a shop, a bag of shopping, when they go to pick up their niece, who's then, as you said, you know, 10, 15 kilos, 20, 30 pounds, they've never lifted anything like that. So they're suddenly going so far out of their realm of comfort that then they're not necessarily causing any damage, but it's just a trigger of a, that protective mechanism of, oh, be careful here, which is the brain just talking to your back saying, be, be, a, bit, be, more, be a bit more careful here. As I said, you're not likely to actually cause any structural damage, but it can be severely painful. Yeah, I think so. I think to relate it again to the gym, most of the time people are going to hurt themselves on a maximal effort or, you know, maybe not a one rep max, but a five rep max where that fifth one, you know, their, their muscular endurance, they've surpassed what they're capable of. Their form breaks down. They have unwanted flexion and extension rather than maintaining a rigid torso. And they get hurt on that fifth rep when maybe they should have racked the weight after four or put it back down on the ground. And so, like you said, if the most you've ever lifted is two bags of groceries out of your trunk and then put them on your kitchen counter and suddenly, you know, you notice that your niece is about to fall into the swimming pool and you quickly take a step, reach forward and grab something twice as heavy as a bag of groceries that's wiggly <laughs> and on the ground, that's <laughs> basically, you know, you've surpassed your one rep max. And sorry, Tiffany, where... my doctor told me I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> right. It's either my back or your daughter, and I'm choosing my back. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I think in my mind, that's that's kind of a simplistic way to explain it to people. You know, you you've got to you've got to move up your functional one rep max so that you can do what you need to do in your life. Yeah. I think you made a really good point there as well, David, of uh, a a final rep where you're out of reserve, where you've exceeded your reserves of strength and endurance doesn't have to be on a one rep max. This could be on, uh, you know, five rep max. It could be on your 100 rep max 
most people unfortunately still train to failure. Now, that means that they don't want to go out of the gym, especially younger guys, this tends to be a thing, and I, I was as guilty of it as anyone else. You don't want to leave the gym until you can barely move your arms. But when you say that again slowly and think about it, you've trained until failure that day. The failure was either going to be you drop the weight or one of your tissues fails you. You know, something is failing in that chain. Either you're sensible and manage to drop it or the weight drops you. Um, as a guy who's dislocated his shoulder during a shoulder press, I can well attest. <laughs> and that was my last rep of the day, last set, last rep, absolutely blitzed, neurologically fatigued. It wasn't even that heavy. Um, I can attest that it doesn't have to be that that one rep max. I've, I've not heard it um, explained as well as that before, David. That was good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, that's how I uh, injured myself when I re-herniated a disc. It was my last squat on the last training day a week before competition. And I'd sort of been poorly managing fatigue and increasing neural tension um, and increasing pain over the last four to five weeks and trying to modify how I deadlifted and all kinds of stuff. But it was like, you know, I'm a physical therapist, so I know just enough to be dangerous to myself and my well-being. I was like, I think I got this. And it was that last squat on the way up out of the hole about halfway had a hitch. And 48 hours later, I couldn't stand up for more than about 10 seconds without it feeling there was a just a vice on my right glute and my calf was going to explode. So, yeah. I'm sure lots of people listening to this are probably in exactly that situation right now. So it'll give you some comfort as well. And and I'm sure the other factors as well, you know, you've got a competition coming up, the stress of that, you know, all the worry, all of those factors also compounded it. And that's, you know, further added to that pain. Whereas if you hadn't have had a competition coming up that following week, I wonder if that had impacted at all on a, the outcome of that lift or also the kind of the long-term recovery. That would have been an interesting, obviously you can't get back in time and hindsight's a wonderful thing, but uh, would have been an interesting thought thought experiment. Yeah, I, I mean, I can say with, Hopefully, I mean, a decent amount of confidence that I probably wouldn't have continued to train the way I was if I hadn't been so close to a competition because it, I did not feel good. <laughs> My deadlifts felt horrible <laughs> at that point. And I think that's where people get stuck. And similar, Dave, to what you were saying, right? I mean, how important was the shoulder press that day like in the grand scheme of things? I mean, unless well, you're we training were, we for were an Olympic. We later, David. So, uh, you know, yeah, was, right. I had to, had to look good. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Going on going on vacation with a photo shoot coming up. Yeah. But, you know, again, that that's a reason to, to maybe train a little bit harder, right? You're, you're, you've got a photo shoot coming up for something professional. But most people going to the gym, you know, they do the same 10 or 15 exercises they've been doing for 10 or 15 years. And they do them to failure far too often. Um, they do them to form failure probably more than they have any idea and they think they have to. And that's where, you know, as, as physical therapists or as a strength coach, a personal trainer, helping people understand that lifting weights doesn't just look like squat, bench, deadlift, and overhead press, right? You know, just mm -hmm. take a squat. Like, I can give you 50 options for that single leg, double leg offset, Where's the weight placed? What's the tempo? How deep are you going? What's your range of motion? What's your relative intensity? What's your RPE? You can change all of that and get a fantastic workout with less risk of injury. Um, and even within, you know, like you said, it could be a one rep max where you get hurt. It could be a, a hundredth rep of the day where you get hurt. It could be the hundredth day in a row of running the same route at the same pace and then finally, like, you know, that patellofemoral tendon just gives up on you or you 
that's when the uh, plantar fasciitis kicks in. You know, it's the straw that broke the camel's back and, mm. and you just, you, you think you have no idea why, but you know, if you were to track it and kind of look back and have a, an educated eye, look at your training plan, they could probably point out, you know, this is exactly why you got hurt. Yeah. Well, um, to bring on from that. <clears throat> so you mentioned there about exceeding both the realms of your sort of physical capability, but exceeding the realms of form capability as well. So one of the big questions then has to be if lifting weights is good for our backs, is form important? So is it just the, the mechanical aspect of lifting weights, putting something up and down, or does it have to be done in a, a certain um, a physical pattern? So I think there's a bit of a spectrum on this one as well. There's probably a best place to start for most people and then some room for progress. And so maybe we'll talk about just the squat, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah. 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 Okay. So for most people, there's probably a relatively optimal way for them to perform a barbell back squat. It's going to depend on the mobility in their ankle. It might depend on sort of the anatomical structure of their hip, whether they can squat um, toes forward, or they need to be, you know, pretty toed out or somewhere in between if they need their stance to be wide or narrow, um, based on their shoulders, where should the bar sit on their upper back, um, so that they're not risking, um, excessive strain on a shoulder or putting themselves in position where as they transition from, you know, going down to coming back up out of the hole in the squat, they're in good position. So I think, uh, the short answer is yes, there is no one right way to squat, bench, deadlift, or do anything. But mm. for each individual person, there's probably sort of an anatomically ideal way for them to perform a lift. Yeah, I like that. I, I think you actually mentioned that in your opener as well. You know, said you said the form that was best for you as well. Um, there's not a, a cookie cutter. This is the absolute do not deviate. There will be natural anatomical differences. So don't beat yourself up. Like you said, if you're a little bit towed out, if your knees do draw a bit too far forward compared to that, you know, ideal that you've read in the magazine, because your anatomy is different from that dude and the dude next to you as well. Yeah. And so sticking with the squat, right? Do, does everyone need to squat ass to grass? No. Does everyone need to squat below parallel? No. If you want to compete in powerlifting, do you need to squat below parallel? Yes. Hmm. But for most people, that's not what they're doing. They're trying to build some strength in their legs. They're trying to look a little bit better in short shorts, whatever it is, trying to lose a little bit of weight, doing high volume. So squat to where you can squat to without pain. It doesn't mean that you also can't then have a goal of squatting deeper. And maybe you go see a physio or a good coach and they can identify the stiff links in the chain and say, here's some accessory work. Here's a mo mobility warmup. And in three to four months, maybe your form looks different. You've got a new personal ideal squat form. Um, but yeah, I think trying to force yourself as a, as a square into a round hole, that's going to increase the risk of injury. So then to, 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 does that optimal movement translate across then into the real world? Because some people, not necessarily just listening to this, but generally aren't really interested in back squatting, but they are interested in picking up their grandchild from the floor, you know, but so if they are, you can't really do a perfect, you know, air quotes form lift when you're picking something up off the floor. 
So do those gym benefits or those exercises which you can do in the physio room, everything, will they translate over to lifting up a grandchild or to, you know, bending down and picking up something off the floor? Sure. So, I mean, I think the idea of the functional reserve, you know, finding your optimal for you, your optimal squat and deadlift and maybe uh, horizontal row or vertical row um, form and building up some strength will allow you to maybe get outside of anything optimal and have a reduced risk of injury just through gross strength gains. Again, you're, if you can lift a hundred kilos with fantastic form that works for you, and then you've got to lift 20 kilos outside your center of mass and kind of off to the left, that's still only 20% of your strength that you're having to call upon. Um, and then that also comes in, you know, the higher the relative load, the more important that form is and, you know, the technique and the bracing and the sequencing and all that stuff. But I think strength training in multiple planes of motion is another thing that most people overlook. Most people are sagittal plane, right? Up, down, push, pull, it's forward, backward, and then people get injured when they twist and lift, right? It's the, it's the uh, pick up the groceries, pull the clothes out of the dryer, pick up the kid who's running by <laughs> with scissors, and you don't have time to, you know, set your feet, take a big breath, and uh, drop down into a perfect squat. So I think exposing ourselves and, and as a coach or a physio, exposing our patients and our clients to rotation um, and lateral movement is, again, building up functional reserve in those other planes. So, yeah, on some level, if you've got a stationary object, right, you've got a bag of rocks in the back of your car, that's heavy, right, and awkward. And getting yourself into a good position for that is probably pretty important. Um, but I don't think people need to worry about, you know, picking up a piece of paper off the ground, you know, in a conventional deadlift or a sumo deadlift. Um, mm. and, and if they don't, then that's why they hurt their back. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And it's, it's not that the fact that they have just bent over to, to lift it because that's not the, the problem, you know, because as he said, as we said, the whole way through bending and lifting and twisting is normal. Our spines are designed to do this, you know, to avoid flexion, you know, bending or rounding from the back is, is as silly as never bending your elbow or bending your knee. You know, you, you wouldn't, it doesn't translate to any other body part, but we have this narrative that, oh, because I bent over and injured my back, it's obviously the bending was the problem and I'm never going to do it again. And I think, you know, I don't know if you, you know, there's another physio we've spoken to before, a guy called Adam Meekins and his analogy, he's just hurt his back. And his analogy, which he used was, you know, a lot of people have said to him, oh, you hurt your back doing a deadlift. He was picking up a heavy weight from the floor. And people said, oh, it's because you're deadlifting that you've hurt your back. And he said, if I'd hurt my back having sex, would you have told me never to have sex again? And it was a really good kind of misnomer. And you know, in the same way, you can use that for a lot of different allergies. If you hurt your back gardening, would you ever tell a patient to never garden again? You know, you, you wouldn't do that. It would be kind of completely ridiculous. And that should be the same way we, we view going to the gym or any other sport that people see as inherently dangerous for our spines mm -hmm. when they're actually not. Yeah, totally agree. Again, that kind of goes back to the, you know, people think that, that the gym on some level, yes, the gym is voluntary. You don't have to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of that, you know, you would never tell someone never have sex again because you don't view that 
in the same light as choosing, you know, to buy a gym membership and take time out of your day to go lift some weights. Um, but it's super important, right? There's, there's just tons and tons and more and more research every week about the benefits, the protective benefits of, of physical fitness, the protective, the neuroprotective benefits of resistance training on, you know, optimal aging and everything else. And I think the other interesting thing is hopefully the listeners have the same mindset I do as I kind of paint this picture. But if you were to imagine who's more likely to injure their back, bending over to pick something up off the ground, is it the yoga teacher or is it the sedentary office worker? Right. And and in my mind, that's an easy answer, right? It's sedentary office worker. The person who is bending, twisting, flexing, extending their spine every day for hours teaching yoga, that's less risk. The person who's sitting, not moving their spine, not moving their hips, not doing anything, you know, their pelvic floor is getting weaker by the minute. Then they bend over, right? It's not bending over that that's harmful. It's bending over when you're not prepared to bend. Yeah. And like I said, like, like if you never bent your elbow, you went to pick up something heavy with your elbow, it's not going to feel very comfortable. You know, exactly that. So then mm-hmm. if someone's list, list, listening to this and they're thinking, you know, well, actually, I've, I've been afraid to lift anything for the last, you know, 20, 30 years, six months, whatever it is, because I'm scared of hurting mm-hmm. my back or because I did lift something that caused my back pain 10 years ago, which I still have. What would you say to them if they were sat in front of you in, in your clinic or, or you, you know, got in a consultation? What would you want them to hear? So for one thing, they've probably lifted more than they even realize. And they could probably think back over the last couple of months about times when they did lift more than those 10 pounds that maybe their doctor told them was their lifetime limit five years ago. And they didn't get hurt. So there is some evidence already, you know, kind of making the case for not being so afraid of movement. If we're talking more specifically about going into the gym and starting to resistance train, starting to lift weights, I would say to find a good coach, find a good coach, find a good trainer, or honestly, I mean, go see a good physio, have them do kind of a movement screen and give you a home exercise program based on your individual capacity. So here's a few ways you could start. Um, And a great way to think about this that I learned from, his name is John Flagg. He teaches with um, uh, Clinical Athlete. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Quinn Hennock's company. He teaches their um, Clinical Athlete Powerlifting course. And what he talked about was just in, in regards to like that perfect form or the perfect range of motion or whatever, he talked a lot about kind of good enough, right? Is it good enough? Can we load that movement? Does it look 80% solid, right? Could we squat, you know, maybe, maybe if you try and squat to parallel, someone kind of falls apart, their chest drops, their back rounds, they get a butt wink and they lose their balance, right? I wouldn't want to load that. But if someone could perform a sit to stand from a chair that's slightly above parallel and it looks fantastic, right? You could load that. So maybe you start with um, a Smith machine 
and you put a box underneath and you squat 50%, you know, halfway down and come back up with just the bar and it's pain-free for three sets of 10. Fantastic. That's evidence that you can move with some resistance. The bar still weighs 45 pounds and your doctor told you never to lift 10. And you're like, I need to put some weight on this because this feels like nothing. You're like, yeah, that's 45 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> or you grab a trap bar. You know, there's another guy's name is Dr. Michael Mash and he runs um, barbell rehab. And he said some of his favorite moments in the clinic are when he has that 65 year old lady who's afraid to pick up a grocery bag from her car. And he puts the 10 pound bumpers on the trap bar and she picks it up and he informs her that she just lifted 65 pounds off the ground. Love and it. she put it back down and said, do you want me to do another? <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, so true. I love that. You no, know, I think finding a, you know, finding a guide in a way, finding a teacher to show you, mm. um, some alternative ways of moving and sort of introduce you again to go back to the reading, right? It's like, I don't need you to go pick up a, a dictionary and memorize it or, you know, infinite jest. <laughs> That's not your first book, you know, 1200 pages of a thousand characters. <laughs> crime and no and storyline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crime yeah. and punishment are the full works of Shakespeare. It's like, start somewhere, start yeah. somewhere easy and, and, you know, start, a, start, start to enjoy it. Um, yeah. I think that's a long winded way of, of hopefully answering your question. Yeah. I like it. Um, so top tips are find a good trainer or coach, uh, a physio, chiro, osteo, someone who's in a movement space and can screen and advise. What about people starting from home? So they're, they're scared to break into that, that gym or that un, um, unknown environment. Can someone start just from home? Can we lift up random children in the street? Can we find potatoes <laughs> in the supermarket and drop them <laughs> over our head? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh advise? my gosh. Yes. So, so here's a, here's another great analogy. And, and I think this applies to, you know, body weight training. It's um, with, with the right intention, you can make lightweight feel very heavy. You can make your body weight feel very heavy, right? You can activate your pecs and your lats and your glutes and squeeze your upper thighs together and then try and squat. And it's going to feel like you've got something on your back. It's going to be hard. Um, so yes, I think from home and, and sort of mastering some body weight movements, you know, a squat, a hinge, a lunge, a press, um, even just being able to walk and carry something mm. that's five to 10 pounds, you know, three to five kilos and not look like you're walking down the side of a steep embankment, you know, okay. keeping your torso up and your shoulder blades back. Those are going to be fantastic things to do. Um, I think people starting from home also and film yourself. We've all got smartphones with cameras and, you know, as much as there can be some concern about judgment in the gym, when you bring your tripod and set it up, if you're doing it in your living room, you know, there's no one there to, to judge you first of all, and you're going to get a little feedback. You know, I think most people kind of like people know, what food is healthy and what's not despite all the complexities of dieting they kind of know what movement looks good you know most people could look at a at a at a quote unquote good squat and sloppy squat and they could pick out the movement pattern that was better so filming yourself you know doing what looks like a deadlift with a, a, a bag of groceries doing a squat holding onto a gallon of milk and uh, doing a push-up with your hands up on the kitchen table or the couch 
you're going to, you're going to kind of pick up on, you know, what's my back position, you know, where's my head? Is it way out in front of my body? Um, you know, am I rotating and I didn't mean to, it didn't even know I was, I think, mm. I think those are great places to start from home. Brilliant. I love that. And you can kind of take it the other way as well. And, uh, you know, if you do three, three of those press ups, one felt pretty awful, one felt okay. And one felt amazing. You can watch that back and say, well, what did I do different on number three? Ah, I lifted that chin up or uh, mm. that seemed to be a little bit different. Like you said, you can, uh, you can guess which one looks better and you, you were bloody there. You can feel how they differentiate as well. So if there's one which you thought, ah, oh, that felt like a squat, you know, oh, that felt a bit easier. That's generally what you're going to feel, guys at home listening. It's going to feel easy. All of a sudden, that bag's going to fry up off of the ground or that press-up's going to think, oh, that wasn't too bad. That's the magic spot. That's the the clean movement that you're looking for. Is that a movement yeah, efficiency? Don't be afraid it? to uh, play around too, right? Again, yeah. if, if we're sticking with a squat as a great example, because you know, everyone knows what a squat looks like. You get up and down out of a chair, you get off the toilet, you squat it. Don't be afraid to do three squats and be like, ugh, that didn't feel great. Maybe I should, you know, and just move your feet out farther. Did it feel better? Yes or no. Turn your toes out. Did it feel better? Yes or no. Um, you know, you can, again, there's no one right squat. There's probably a decent squat for you. Um, and you don't need someone to do, you know, Craig's test and a hip scour to figure that out. You can just squat a few times, change your foot position, squat a few more times. Now yeah, that was better. Perfect. Yeah, fantastic. I'm a bit, big believer in that. And it's just do what's comfortable. You know, we should be reducing the barriers to exercise and physical activity not giving people more hurdles they've got to jump through to just to walk into a gym as, as exactly as you said use a carton of milk and you know do some press-ups on the kitchen counter you know i say to a lot of patients particularly you know elderly patients you know the importance of muscle mass when they're waiting for that kettle to boil i know you don't use kettles in america but when you're waiting for the microwave to go whatever it might be do some lunges like just do five lunges on each side or do 10 push-ups just against the kitchen counter while you're waiting for those peas to boil on the hob and you just get into the habit of that. And over the course of a month, you know, you've done 150 press-ups without really trying to. And you can just, those small changes can make massive, massive differences kind of in, in five years down, down the line. Yeah, I completely agree. It's all about reducing that barrier. All about, exactly. I like it. And they, uh, they say, well, they say, uh, <laughs> Churchill said, perfection is the enemy of progress. I like that. I just had to look it up and well, just to make sure who said it, um, and make sure it wasn't someone atrocious. Um, so yeah, perfection is the enemy of progress. Um, start at home. If you wait for, you know, to look great in those leggings, for the gym to be perfectly quiet, for you to feel just right about getting into that gym, I can tell you now it's never going to happen. Um, so yeah, if you're starting at home, now is the time to start exercising. Yesterday was the best time to start exercising so tomorrow is the next best time right um and you can start with three squats in the kitchen you can start with one cheeky little press up on a kitchen unit whilst the pasta's cooking tonight um uh i don't know squat whilst you're putting petrol in the car on the way to work who knows what it's gonna be um but if you can create some movement create some early stage not perfect but done movement hell you're exercising guys you're weightlifting well done and try and add a little, you know, if you think that sounds too easy, try adding a little tempo, right? If you think those five squats with a carton of milk is too easy, try taking five seconds to go down mm -hmm. on each one. Five reps, five mm -hmm. seconds each. That's going to be a heck of a lot harder with no extra resistance. Love it. Brilliant. Well, David, that, I think that wraps up 
you know, a really good introduction for anyone listening about lifting, about squatting, about deadlifting. So hopefully you've covered a lot, a lot of ground on that. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us. For anyone listening, where can they go to find out more about you? Can anyone go to find you have a website? I know you've got a podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Dr. David Skolnick, DPT. I spell my last name S-K-O-L-N-I-K. Um, I host a podcast. It's called The Essential Strength Podcast. Uh, and I own a training and nutrition company called Stronger in Motion. So um, I, you know, I work with power lifters. I also work with general population clients. My wife is also a physical therapist. She's a nutrition coach. So, you know, our, our whole goal is to bring more, bring more purpose to people's fitness, try and help people stop wasting their time in the gym and, you know, hopefully to be a, a link in the bridge between healthcare and fitness. Uh, I think I, I work for the pain-free performance certification. Um, I, I'm one of their assistant instructors. It's John Russin's company. And, you know, we, we travel around the country and, and internationally under, under better circumstances. But, you know, running certifications for both personal trainers, but also for physical therapists and chiropractors. And, you know, I think a big thing that most people have hopefully come to realize in the last year and a half is, fitness really is on the front line of health, right? A lot of, at least in America, you know, a lot of the health care system is really more of a reactive sick care system. There's not a lot of prevention happening here, but it's through, you know, taking steps to become healthier when you're capable of that, when you're healthy, you know, it's that functional reserve again. Um, so that's what, you know, my wife and I and the company and the podcast, it's, uh, that's what it's all about is trying to empower people to discover what strength means for them and stop being scared, stop feeling weak and, you know, uh, live a kind of a happier, healthier life through strength. Fantastic. You know, we all know how important that is. So, uh, we will drop all the links to that in the show notes below for anyone wanting to find out a bit more. So, that's it for me. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. No worries. Just guys. Over and out. Mm-hmm.